You're listening to the Niners Bros, your home for post-game analysis, correcting media narratives, and keeping you up to date on all things San Francisco 49ers. What's up, guys? I'm Michael Ditchfield. And I'm David Ditchfield, and we are the Niners Bros. On this week's episode, we break down the 49ers' 24-9 butt-whooping of the Rams. Who? The Rams. Who, who, who's that? You know, the, the Los Angeles Rams, the team that Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo have beaten seven times in a row in the regular season. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, and what a game it was, and what a contrast from the previous week. I think the biggest challenge for us on the podcast today is going to be trying to choose which stats to highlight or which players, because so many 49ers played well in this game, and it was just night and day from the previous week. It's a great problem to have, and I'm in a fabulous mood. I don't know about you, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> feeling pretty good. Well, before we get into game flow and some of the big moments that mattered and some of those delicious stats, Let's talk about some of the storylines coming into the game. A lot of uncertainty for the 49ers coming off that horrible game against Denver. Two scores in 14 possessions. Drama, people questioning Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo and their relationship. Also, Trent Williams injured, out for for a few weeks. Yeah, and that was a must-have bounce-back game from the Niners after last week. I was a little concerned that if the 49ers came out on Monday night and played like they did last Sunday, we were going to get flexed out of the remaining primetime games on the schedule this year. And you wouldn't have blamed the league. As you mentioned in last week's episode, John Morant, his description of the the Broncos game was, this game poo. And (laughs) indeed it was. Fortunately, this week was not. Um, now, the Rams coming into this game had some uncertainty, too. They were 2-1, and one, and their only loss was to the Buffalo Bills, who everyone is anointing as Super Bowl darlings. But the two wins were not terribly impressive. You know, They beat the Arizona Cardinals, who are a mediocre team this year, and they took it down to the wire against the Falcons. So they also came in with injury concerns on their offensive line. And I know we were talking all offseason about how people were really overestimating the Rams' ability to compensate for all of their losses and free agency and, and things like that. And certainly it was a story coming in, how would they do with a depleted offensive line against a San Francisco defense that had the looks of, of one that was really elite. So let's jump right into it first drive of the game the rams do something really interesting that we have not seen from other teams and i thought it was very smart from sean mcveigh and that was that they kind of went hurry up um, right out of the gate Um, three catches for cup and three for higby just really really keeping things up tempo yeah that was probably their best drive of the game they looked really sharp as you said a lot of up tempo quick snaps getting up to the line not really giving the defense a chance to communicate and get set the way they normally would. And, you know, that really was their best drive of the game. Very efficient, quick passes, positive runs. It honestly was a 49ers style drive, just moving the chains a little bit at a time, eating up the clock and ultimately coming away with points. Yeah, it was a long drive. I mean, I mean, over eight minutes by the time they got around to kicking a field goal. And that field goal was notable because it was the first points that the 49ers defense had given up in the first quarter this year, which is kind of astounding. Yeah, we're going to be talking a lot about this defense uh, later on in this episode, but uh, just outstanding. The 49ers get the ball, and <laughs> we have an early miscommunication we found out later uh, Spencer Burford tweeted that it was a miscommunication between he and Brendel where they let Aaron Donald <laughs> just come unblocked at Jimmy Garoppolo we didn't pick up the audio but I imagine that Garoppolo might have screamed yeah that's not something you want to see uh, Aaron Donald is somebody that you want to at least attempt to block ideally it's not always going to work out for you but uh, Aaron Donald certainly had a great game 
we know who Aaron Donald is and and we know that he knows who Debo Samuel is. You know, he can pretend all he wants, but uh, Aaron Donald ultimately did not get a sack in this game. So anytime that happens, that's a good thing. He, He was in the backfield quite a bit was his typical self, but yeah, it's a little bit scary when you see 99 coming at you and nothing in front of him at all. The, it was funny on the Manning cast. They said, well, that's a new strategy. Like don't have anyone block Aaron Donald. Most people double team him. Maybe they're trying to get in his head, like insult him. Like how come they're not blocking me? But uh, fortunately it didn't kill the drive. They did have two third down conversions to Jennings. Nice to see Jennings uh, pick up some third down, certainly a calling card for him um, on that drive. And then Burford did kind of redeem himself after after that mistake against Donald by having a really nice block on a 32-yard TD by Jeff Wilson where he was untouched. Um, a nice wham block um, from Warner coming down the line on that. Just a fantastic running play that seems to be something that you see from the 49ers and not a lot of other teams where the seas just part and the guy just has daylight. Yeah, it's pretty rare that you go untouched up the middle like that, but great to see. Uh, You love those explosive plays, getting on the board early, going up against the Rams, and yeah, anytime you can go untouched, that's obviously outstanding blocking. So coming out of that, the Rams end up kind of with a, a nothing drive. Bosa gets another sack, and he's just on fire. 49ers get it, and Jimmy looks a little bit off. He missed a, one of those fantastic Shanahan plays where someone leaks out to Warner and just not a not a good throw. And Yeah, those are tough to watch. It seems like Jimmy just does not have a feel for those throws. Warner beat his man, and I don't know if it was a miscommunication or what, but Warner was clearly looking for that ball up the seam in, in towards the middle, and Jimmy threw it to the outside. Warner gets turned around. He got his hands on it, but ultimately was not able to make the catch. Then on the very next play, Shanahan dials up an interesting looking screen. Unfortunately, that play was blown up by Jalen Ramsey, uh, deflected the ball, but uh, that play had potential. It was a unique looking play. Uh, unfortunately, nothing came of it. And then on that third down, again, looking towards Jennings, Garoppolo did have Jennings open on a post route and just kind of airmailed the throw. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of a disconcerting feeling. The Niners are up at this point in the game but you're starting to feel that anxiety creep in. Is this another one of those games where they're just going to find a way to lose? Garoppolo looks kind of tight and uncomfortable. So you're starting to feel a little bit anxious uh, as that drive comes to an end. But of course, on the next drive, uh, magic happened there. Yeah, just unreal. You know, unreal play from Debo Samuel. We're going to be watching it the rest of the year. Casual fans are finally starting to learn. If they missed the NFL playoffs last year, they're finally starting to learn who Debo Samuel is. I know it took Aaron Donald a little while to learn. But what a ridiculous, first of all, just to even catch that ball, to high point it, it was nearly picked off. And if it had been lower, it could have gone the other way for seven. And instead, Debo takes it 57 yards. Um, breaks two tackles, makes another guy miss in the open field. Great blocking downfield from Kittle and Juice and Ayuk, knocking people over, and it's just insane that he scored on that play. It really is, and it's Debo. So if you're a 49ers fan, you know that once he gets the ball in his hands, anything can happen. But on that play, even though it's Debo, you're thinking he can't score on this. There's no way, right? There's no way he can score. And Jalen Ramsey notably had a missed tackle there. I'll give Ramsey at least some credit. He didn't whiff on that tackle. He made really good, strong contact, slowed him down, but not enough. Debo, after the game, said that he has this mentality where 
one guy is not going to tackle me, and he's right until somebody proves him wrong. This guy cannot be tackled in the open field. Yeah, someone said it was a business decision from Ramsey, which I think is stupid when you see the wide shot of it. Ramsey was trying not to let him get to the outside, so he was kind of taking a conservative angle, but he did get like a full shot on Debo's lower body and just just bounced right off of him. And it was nice to see Ramsey's a guy who does a lot of talking. It was kind of funny oh, of all of the 49ers on our roster. It was pretty funny to see McGlinchey like go up to Ramsey and sort of point at Debo in the end. So I'm like, Hey, 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 look, look did you see Debo scored? And Ramsey kind of pushed him though. Yeah. I wonder if he was saying like, Hey, when you get back to the bench, you can tell Aaron that that guy there in the end zone, <laughs> that that's who Debo Samuel is. Nice to see the 49ers after that score just clamp down on defense. Amenahu and Lenore um, both had sacks on the following drive. And one thing that we talked about that was really surprising was the 49ers blitzed a lot in this game. Yeah, 14 blitzes. That's that's a lot for them. And also surprising from a strategic standpoint, Stafford had come in grading really well by PFF measures on his performance against pressure and blitz especially. But on those 14 blitzes, they picked up four sacks and only gave up 50 yards. So impressive to see them keep the clamps down and they go in at halftime up 14 to six. It's only an eight point advantage, but four sacks in the first half, you're you're feeling pretty good about that. Um, after the half, they come out, the 49ers, and they don't score. Kittle finally gets involved with the catch. And that was something that even the commentators started to pick up. It is strange how Kittle seems to never even get to 30 yards anymore in a game. It's just unusual how he's disappeared in this offense. Yeah, I mean, there are a really small number of elite receiving tight ends in this league. You've got your Kelsey's, you've got your Kittles and maybe Andrews in, in Baltimore. Not that everything is about fantasy, but Kittle is certainly one of those guys that if you're if you're a fantasy drafter, you're looking to draft him early. You know, once tight ends start going off the board, he's going to be in the top three. And it's just so unusual. He does not really seem to be a part of the game plan at all. Um, we were sort of under the impression that he was just blocking a ton. And after review, that really is not the case. Uh, he's actually been blocking at a lower percentage rate this year than he was last year. So he is actually running those routes. Not really sure if he's just not getting the separation or if Jimmy's just not looking for him, but it's really unusual to have a guy who is such an elite weapon just not really getting any targets, any any meaningful looks. It's strange to be paying a player north of $15 million and using them essentially the same way that you use Charlie Warner. So something to keep an eye on moving forward, but uh, 49ers failed to score in that drive, uh, but in the next Rams drive, uh, you've got Bosa with another sack. There was a BS illegal contact on Fred Warner where Cup just basically ran into him um, and got a flag. We were Yeah, not it was funny that. because Warner actually got away with much stronger contact earlier in the game around the end zone on a ball where Cooper Cup didn't get turned around enough, but just unusual to see that called out of everything. Penalties weren't a huge story in this game, of course. Uh, the Rams... Uh, had one whopping penalty for uh, five yards. Uh, Niners with four for 25. That's certainly manageable there. Yeah, I know it felt like Nick Bosa was being held on every play. And as much as the seven sacks that the 49ers got submarined a lot of drives, just imagine 49ers fans, if they had actually been called for some of the holding penalties on those drives, they would have been shut out. And how many times have we talked about this? You know, there's that saying, what would you do for a Klondike bar? What does Nick Bosa have to do to get a holding call? I just don't know. We have talked about this so many times. And 
I'm going to hit you with some Bosa numbers here. So Bosa leads the NFL in pressures this year with 30. He leads the NFL with sacks at six. He leads the NFL in QB hits at 16. He leads the NFL in uh, win rate at 29.3%. And he's second in hurries with 14. And he's getting held on every single play. It's absolutely ridiculous. If you're a tackle, why would you not hold Bosa on every single play? You know they're not going to call it. And it's gotten so bad, so bad that Shanahan actually said, we are sending footage of all of these holding plays to the league, essentially begging them to do something about this. When you look at the numbers that he has when he is getting mugged, the only plays he's not getting held on are the ones where he's doing a straight bull rush running through somebody. If he's running around somebody to the outside or the inside, he is getting held and it is just not getting called. People are going to continue to hold him until somebody actually throws a flag. It's so frustrating. Fortunately, not a deciding factor in the game, though. And that drive ends with what could have been another interception uh, for Gibson. He's graded out extremely well this year, but he's also had two like very, very clear, like through his hands kind of, you know, could have picked it off. But the Rams settle for a field goal there um, to make it 14 to nine. After that, 49ers with a bit of a frustrating and scary experience in the next drive where McKivitz is apparently hurt and in comes Jalen Moore, who we gave a bit of a hard time to on last week's podcast, but deservedly so. Yeah, I mean, he did okay. They, they didn't really ask him to do much um, moving forward at that point in the game, but McKivitz was playing so well. When you're replacing Trent Williams, there are no bigger shoes to fill. He is clearly the best left tackle in the game. So coming in, you didn't hear anything about McKivitz, and that's exactly what you want. If you are not calling his name, he's doing a phenomenal job, and it's just so brutal. Every week, it seems like we're just going to have to keep talking about these injuries. We're finding out now it's looking like he sprained his MCL and is going to be out for around two months at this point. Just brutal, brutal injuries again. We'll be interested to see how the 49ers adjust to that, too. I know that this was the first week that Daniel Brunskill was back, and he and Burford actually rotated a little bit at guard, mm -hmm. which was unusual. We weren't sure if Burford was benched after the first drive or what was going on. I know that, personally, I would rather see Brunskill get a shot at that left tackle than Jalen Moore, just yeah, based off of past history. rather but. see anybody. I mean, we were at the game in Jacksonville last year when Jalen Moore made his first start as a rookie, and just kind of more of the same. Jimmy got absolutely blown up several times in that game, and he essentially just got benched uh, for Compton, and then Compton started the rest of the way. To be fair, he did end up, Jalen Moore, producing a clean sheet. So did McKivitz, which is pretty crazy. That, Hard to believe. Yeah, that, how, do, how, do the, how do the Rams not key in on that more? Yeah, amazing, but, but you'll take it. Uh, 49ers do put a bit of a, a drive together there. 35-yarder from Juice. Uh, where he leaked out to the sideline. And then Wilson had a five-yard gain, an eight-yard gain, and another eight-yard gain back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Other than the 32-yard run, that sequence seemed to be the only one of the entire game where he really had anything going. Um, his overall yards per carry was fine at the end, but this has been a bit of a struggle for him where he seems to have one big gain in every game, and then it's a lot of two-yard runs. Yeah, and I think we mentioned that if you take away the the big touchdown run there where he was untouched, his yards per carry goes down to 2.47, and obviously that's not how it works. You can't just say, oh, we'll take away those big runs. That's part of it, but... 2.47 is not really what we're accustomed to seeing. 
We're used to seeing those outside zone, those stretch plays where the runner gets to the edge and is picking up 10, 12, 14 yards, getting those first downs on first or second down. And we have not seen that at all this year. Definitely missing Elijah Mitchell for sure. Shanahan does not seem to trust Jordan Mason, JP Mason, whether that's because of poor pass blocking or fumbling in practice, we don't really know. But for whatever reason, he's not really being given a shot. Marlon Mack did appear in this game. He was active. You start to wonder, especially with Jeff Wilson's injury history, if Shanahan is really going to ride him 20 to 25, you know, carries a game or or if at some point someone else gets a a shot at least. Yeah, it's hard to know. We're not really seeing a whole lot of creativity in the run game, which is unusual. Uh, Debo carried the ball again just two times for two yards in this game, so really was a a non-factor. When we saw Debo at his most explosive last year, that was a lot of times on outside pitch plays or even those end-arounds where he's getting these 20, 30-yard rushing touchdowns, and they're kind of just running Debo up the middle right now and really infrequently. Again, it's just a whole lot of Jeff Wilson right now. We're not really seeing much of anybody else and a lot of that of course is due to who else are you going to give the ball to sure so many injuries in the running back room as well well interesting to wonder if ty davis price had been healthy maybe he would have gotten some of the goal line carries which the 49ers did get it all the way down to the two jeff wilson not able to punch it in and then an interesting decision on third and two to throw Ayuk appeared to be wide open uh garoppolo didn't see him instead he made what was actually a pretty good throw into the back of the end zone for Kittle originally ruled a touchdown but upon review Kittle did not get both feet in yeah that was a tremendous throw as you said I think the easier throw and probably the one that most quarterbacks are looking for is that little rubber out where Ayuk fakes inside and then goes out out to the pylon wide open there um, that's that's a pretty easy throw to make the throw to Kittle ironically was a much tougher throw but beautiful right in there uh, if Kittle had managed to drag his foot instead of he kind of did an unusual motion there, you know, in the back of the end zone. He kind of turned like he was turning upfield. I'm not sure if he was trying to secure the ball or what, but if he's able to just drag his toe there, it's an easy touchdown. But unfortunately, his body momentum kind of carried him out of the back of the end zone there. Either way, it was kind of an interesting sequence because they get down to the, okay, so it's like fourth and goal from the two and a lot of question, okay, do you, do you just go for it here um, to try to make it a two-score game, or do you kick the field goal to go up by eight? Analytics apparently said that they should have gone for it, but you could make the case that the Rams had not shown a lot of indication that they were going to go on a a touchdown drive and get a two-point conversion. But interesting to see Shanahan be conservative again in that moment. Yeah, kind of a a little bit more aggressive on third down, you know, putting the ball in Jimmy's hands and then kind of going back to conservative on fourth down but ultimately as you said it it didn't end up affecting the outcome but certainly an interesting decision there unlike the bears in week one the rams did not come out of that sort of fourth down conservative call to come right back and score instead they punted again 49ers get the ball brendel has a holding penalty um you know they they move the ball a little bit but gold ends up missing from 42 and the special teams again this should be a pretty positive podcast based off of the outcome but it's worth noting that the special teams is ranked in the bottom five of the league again somehow uh, just some uneven play even Wisnowski did not have his best game yeah Wisnowski averaged under 40 yards a punt so definitely an off game for him uh, Robbie Gold missed that field goal as you mentioned also Ray Ray McLeod uh, fumbled in consecutive games uh, fumbled on a punt last week and then on a kickoff in this game fortunately we were able to recover both of those but ball security is the number one thing obviously you want to have those 
those big returns, but the one thing you cannot do there is fumble, and uh, that seems to be a bit of an issue as well. So coming out of that, the Rams, they get the ball. They have a chance to tie the game. Um, they come out just throwing to Cup and Higby, Cup and Higby, more more to Cup and Higby. Uh, but then Hufunga, <laughs> with just a phenomenal play, reads the screen to Cup, jumps in front. It's just like last year. Uh, was it last year with Jimmy Ward? It's, it's been four years in a row now that the 49ers have had a pick six against the Rams and just a great read, fantastic instincts from Hufunga and takes it all the way to the house. And it's just Bedlam at Levi's. Yeah. And again, we've been talking about Hufunga a lot. How can you not? Outside of Nick Bosa, he's absolutely been the star of this defense, just been playing phenomenal. And he's getting a lot of props in the media from Sherman, from Ronnie Lott, Charles Woodson. Baldinger. Yeah, a bunch of people just singing his praises. Again, how could you not? Again, the knock on him was that he's too slow to play, right? He, he ran a 4-6 at the Combine, and so everyone's thinking, ah, you know, he's going to be a liability. Well, I don't know exactly what his speed was, but I can tell you he was pulling away from Cooper Cup. Yeah, he did get over 21 miles an hour. He was tracked as the second fastest ball carrier in the NFL that week. That'll play. Yeah, that's that's that Jerry Rice speed, right? So so you didn't crush your 40 time, but once you got the ball in your hands, nobody's catching you. So yeah, certainly fast enough to play. And with his instincts, with his tackling ability, with his heart, boy, he's fun to watch. I know that it's irritating when you're watching and the commentators talk about, now this guy, he's a ball player and it's these generic cliches and it's very frustrating. But this is where instincts do matter. A lot of teams passed on this guy, not just because he had some injuries in college, although he did like with shoulder and things like that, but just convinced that his speed would not translate. And in reality, he has four pass breakups this year and two interceptions. Jaquaski Tart has never had more than four pass breakups in any season. So while yes, he did a good job of backpedaling and not giving up deep touchdowns, it's so nice to finally have a ball hawk in the middle of the field. And he's not the only one. Uh, it's not that long ago that the 49ers entire team had two interceptions. That seems insane, and it is, and it was. But it's so nice now that we have multiple guys in the secondary who can actually compete for the ball make plays, get those interceptions, get those turnovers. Stafford obviously had a bit of a rough game, uh, 32 for 48, 254, had that interception and a fumble. Really, he could have had and should have had three interceptions in this game. Sure. Gibson dropped one in the end zone, and then Warner later dropped one in the middle of the field as yeah, well. On the on the ensuing drive after the, the pick six from Hufanga, even Greenlaw almost got his hands on one earlier, and we'll talk about him more a little bit. But uh, at that point, it's 24-9. to nine. Um, The 49ers run out some clock and punt. The Rams get the ball for the last time. They keep throwing to Cooper Cup. He had 14 catches. And if I told you coming into this game that Cooper Cup had 14 catches, I think your first question would be, so how many points did we lose by? But he was not overwhelmingly impactful. The 49ers did a great job of bracketing him. He His longest reception was 18 yards. He never really got into the open field. Even his catches were contested and very difficult and, and brought down almost immediately. Great job by Diamador Lenore and a lot of times Fred Warner, one of the other linebackers, just jumping back to, to make sure that he didn't burn them. Yeah, and the next time somebody shuts down Cooper Cup completely, it's going to be the first time. So 14 catches for 122 yards. Obviously, that's a phenomenal performance. But as you said, the Niners just did a phenomenal job of sticking with him, tight coverage. You know, the Rams did not have a play of 20 yards. They did not have a single explosive play in this game. No busted coverages. Uh, 
defense obviously does not allow a touchdown in this game. The Rams finish with nine points. Just a, a really great job. This offense basically was cup, 14 catches for 122, and Higby actually had 10 catches for 73. Outside of that, the Rams did pretty much nothing at all. Yeah, if you have Allen Robinson on your fantasy team, you can you can yes. go ahead and go ahead and drop him. He's he's not gonna not gonna be a, a producer for you. I, I think at this point, it's safe to say, and certainly not at 15 million a year for the Rams. What a brutal decision to to bring in Allen Robinson at 15 million a year instead of paying Robert Woods. But crazy. Um, End of the day, the 49ers win 24-9. to Jimmy ends up putting together actually a pretty good stat line. He got favorable numbers from PFF, but um, especially 10 of 11 when targeting Ayuk and Debo for 152 yards and a touchdown. That's 13.8 yards per attempt, and that's going to that's gonna get it done. Yeah, so the offense, certainly you felt like it could have been a little bit better, could have sustained a few more drives, but that's the whole thing with Jimmy, right? We expect him to make those throws that lead to yards after catch that's the foundation of this offense in the passing game all we need jimmy to do is not make those terrible bonehead throws and he didn't stafford made at least three of those throws in this game and jimmy did not make any so that's the winning recipe basically uh don't want jimmy making those really risky throws and he and he didn't so you know, on third downs this week, we were a lot better. Five for 12, that's not going to set any records, but that's doable as... Yeah, know, after only one conversion in garbage time, essentially. Yeah, not one for time, 10. Not garbage time because it was a one-score game, but it, it, the game was... You, you felt like scoring was impossible at the end of last week, and that was the only third down conversion we got was, I think, on the last drive or the second to last. And just makes it even more frustrating last week when you see all of these screens and these quick plays that are going for yards, and it seemed like we could not get a first down last week against the Broncos. But, you know, every week in the NFL, it's a different week, different game, different game flow. You can't play that game where you say, oh, this team beat that team last week, so now we're better than Team X. There's so much that can affect this, and I wish anyone would ever talk about this, but you mentioned, you know, penalties or time of possession is another big one. You know, the 49ers only put up 17 offensive points, but part of that is because uh, they had nine drives, but two of them, you know, there was one at the end of the second half where they were just, you know, they only had like a minute. They were being conservative, not trying to put the ball in the end zone. They already had a, an eight point lead at that point. And then in the, the end of the fourth quarter, basically just running out clock. So really they only had seven drives and they scored 17 points on those seven drives in a typical game. You're going to get at least 10 to 11. So they could have scored more, but I, I think also that, that, you know, that, that Rams eight minute drive early on really kind of skewed the numbers in terms of how many scoring opportunities the 49ers had. Yeah, and the time of possession, once again, the Niners actually lost the time of possession in this one. Uh, Rams had the ball for 34 minutes to 25 for us. So it's always nice to come away with a win, uh, even with that disparity in in the time of possession. You mentioned earlier Debo only ran twice for two yards. Offensively, there wasn't a lot statistically to go over beyond what we've already said, but let's get to the good stuff on the defense. Yeah. Wow. This defense is unbelievable. They are putting up truly historic numbers. Obviously it's early. It's, it's the first four weeks and you can say the teams that we've gone up against are not necessarily the cream of the crop either. Certainly this 49ers team could have been, and really should have been four and at this point. But that being said, the defense had 35 pressures in this game 
And we've talked about Bosa, obviously, but but you got to mention the sacks here. Seven sacks in this game, two from Bosa, two from Ebicom, one from Ridgeway, one from Lenore, and one from Omenahu. So the Rams didn't want Ebicom, so we'll take him. Yeah. Texans didn't want Omenahu, we'll take him. Thank you. Yeah, this defensive line is just unreal. And now we've got a secondary to complement that. The linebackers have always been great. Dre Greenlaw led the team with 15 tackles, nine from Warner. And boy, it's so fun to see those guys playing, just flying all over the field, making tackles, sure. playing aggressive. Uh, Warner and Greenlaw both played amazing games. Lenore actually had eight tackles in this game as well. Uh, a lot of that was he was on the field a lot. Sure. Uh, the 49ers defense, all 74 snaps were actually in nickel this week, which Again, kind of unusual, but but very interesting to see. Not sure if that's going to carry over to next week or if this was really like a specific game plan targeting the weakness in the Rams offensive line there. Again, 14 blitzes, certainly unusually high number there. But you want to talk about this defense. They are leading the league in points allowed per game, leading the league in yards per play, DVOA, EPA per play, success rate. They are number one in basically every statistical category that matters. Uh, they are the yards per play. They are averaging under four yards a play. This is like some of those early 2000s Ravens and Buccaneers defenses. Sure. They are on a historic clip right now, and that's without Jimmy Ward and without Verrett. Yeah. Yeah, Armstead's been hurt. Kinlaw has Kinlaw been didn't hurt. Play Al Shire was out this week. It's just staggering. Seven sacks from five different guys. Um, for, Rams finished with three point six yards per pass play versus eight point nine for the Forty Niners. Um, the thirty five pressures number is just insane. It just goes to show that if you're and and think about as you watch this game, you're a Niners fan. You watch this game. How many times did the Rams get the ball out fast? How many screens did they do? And we still had thirty five pressures. I know they took a few deep play action shots, but we were just all over them. And it just goes to show why anyone thought that Traverius Ward would not be a a value signing for this team, or why that was not going to be a good idea. It's been fantastic. You can see how much less we're running these sort of safe zones and how much more we're doing press man. And it's amazing too, to see on third downs to see eight, nine guys up near the line of scrimmage because we're not worried about Mosley and Charvarius Ward getting burned and, and they have been great, legitimately great. So yeah, far. Charvarius or Mooney Ward, as he likes to be called, you know, not exactly a household name, but he's definitely one of those guys. That's a top graded PFF player. He's in the top 10. And since 2018, he is allowing the lowest, completion percentage of any cornerback so like you said it's just so great to have that flexibility where we finally got the personnel that we don't have to just be stuck in zone all the time we can run these press man coverages and the defensive line and the linebackers are just eating uh, again we talked about 35 pressures in this week 14 of those came from bosa in this game it's absurd it's crazy. So 14 pressures is more than the entire Rams team had. It's more than the Cardinals entire team had. And it's the same number of pressures that the Seahawks had this week by himself getting held on every play. Just unbelievable. We'll probably talk about this more in the coming weeks too. But I think that for a team that everyone seems to make Kyle Shanahan the focal point. I think John Lynch and Adam Peters deserve some credit for this ridiculous defense. When you look at Salah's first year as coordinator, 
what a wasteland it was in terms of defensive talent, you know, trading Buckner and, and all of that. It, it's just hard to believe that we've gotten to this point where we've drafted and developed really amazing, phenomenal young players, Warner, Greenlaw, Hufunga, so many, uh, just really great to see. Um, so 49ers, you know, they moved to two and two, but in first place in the division because of the, the two sort of divisional wins and no reason to believe that they can't keep it going as they look to, even though it's on the road, as they look to take on a Panthers team and a Falcons team that are both mediocre at best on their best day. Yeah, and the Niners are no strangers to early in the season East Coast road trips. They, they've had that happen a lot. A lot of times they stay at the Greenbrier in between those games. Not sure if they'll be doing that again uh, in between these two games, but the Panthers coming into this one are really struggling on offense. Baker Mayfield is saying he doesn't care that the fans are booing him, but <laughs> you have to wonder if he maybe should care a little bit. Uh, so, so the Panthers offense struggling mightily coming up against a 49ers defense that is just on fire, could not be hotter. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Certainly a winnable game. It's football, so anything could happen, but this could also be the kind of game that leaves the Panthers with an interim coach starting next week. Certainly that would, no no offense to Matt Rule, but we would love to see that outcome for the 49ers defense. Well, enjoy it, 49ers fans. A week where we had a primetime game and really showed out. So that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Give us your thoughts. We are the Niners Bros.